0: God. When I was in high school, my senior year, I took AP English. AP English is like an advanced placement English class. And what makes AP classes um, particularly significant is at the end of the year, there's a big standardized test you take. And if you pass this test, then you get some credit for that class in college, right? You have to pay to take the test, and so I was in AP English, and I had paid to take this test in advance, and I was signed up for it and knew it was coming down the road, Um, but something significant happened between signing up for the test and taking the test, and that was I got accepted into college, and when I got accepted into college, I found out that they were not going to allow me to use an AP English credit to avoid taking the required university writing course, Okay. And I knew that I was going to be a history major and so didn't need the English credit for a major. And so I went into my AP English test thinking this test doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect my grade. I can't get credit for it in college. I'm not going to be able to get out of this class. I don't really want to take. I've got to take it either way. So I decided that instead of trying really hard on the AP English test, I would instead take a nap. And so I went into the test, and I, I went to the test because, hey, I didn't have to go to class that day, right? So I got to miss class. So I went into the test, and I literally wrote one or two sentences on each question, and then I took a nap for like two and a half hours. I mean, I woke up a few times, but I'm really good at sleeping. Uh, and then I left, and I felt like, well, that was a great morning. Um, and it turns out uh, that there were some consequences to that decision. Um, we'll talk about some of those a little bit later, but one consequence, you can imagine that my parents who paid for the test were not so thrilled to find out how I had handled the test. Um, Also, it turns out that when I got to college, I decided to double major in history and in English. So that was really a shame. Um, But there were some other complications as well. We're going to come back to my AP English test in a little bit. Um, But I want to think this morning about tests. And temptations. Okay, and I want to suggest that tests and temptations can often be the same moment with different intent. So I believe, and the Bible tells us, that God does test us, right? Testing us is what any teacher does, right? Any good teacher says, hey, I have tried to impart this knowledge to you, and now I'm going to assess whether you've learned it, and I'm hoping you'll be successful, right? So, any test, like, for example, that AP English test, is designed to assess you, and it hopes you will succeed, right? Every teacher hopes you'll succeed. Temptation is different. Temptation is um, when you are incited or urged or tricked to make a choice that will result in your failure, right? Uh, And so, sometimes God and our enemy use the same moment For different purposes, God sees it as a test. I hope you will succeed. And and Satan says, hey, here's a great chance to trick you into failing. Okay, together? Um, Tests and temptations. So, um, I want to think particularly about David's story as one of these moments that is a test and a temptation. Uh, And and David, as we've talked before, is the one good king of the United Kingdom. Not perfect, but he gets some things right, and this is one of the moments that David gets right, one of the moments where David passes the test, right? He doesn't lay his head down and take a nap. Uh, David does exactly what he's supposed to do. Uh, Just for fun, it's interesting to do sometimes a what-if right? What if? What if David had not passed the test? What if it had been for David not a test, but a temptation, and he had failed, and he had killed Saul? Uh, I I would love to do a a hypothetical on that, Um, but if you are really interested, there is a wonderful work of English literature that I think works out this theory. It's Shakespeare's Macbeth. If if you're familiar with Macbeth, it's an incredible play, but it is very similar to David's story, Right. Macbeth is a war hero who comes back and is honored by his king, sounds like David. Uh, Macbeth is told by supernatural powers and that he's going to become king later, sounds like David. Uh, and Macbeth has to decide if he's going to have a role in supplanting the current king or not. There's actually a line early in the play where Macbeth says, if chance will have me king then chance will crown me without my stir. In other words, he says, hey, if I'm fated to become king, maybe I don't need to do anything. Maybe it's just going to happen. If you've read the play, you know that's not the direction that Macbeth chooses. But instead, he goes about committing murder um, when his king is given into his hands because he comes and stays in his home, right? Just like David in the cave. Um, And then everything falls apart. And the rest of the story of Macbeth is one horrible tragedy and evil after another, after another. It's a wonderful suggestion of what if, what might have happened if David had not passed God's test. Um, what I love about this moment for David is that he does pass the test, uh, that David recognizes that this moment is not a God of open doors moment, right? Sometimes we think in these terms, like, God opened a door, I got to walk through it. Uh, And David's men think that. David's men are like, hey, Clearly, God has set this up for you, and even Saul thinks a little bit, right? Even Saul, you heard him, he says, well, you know, God gave me into your hands, but, but David doesn't think that way, right? Uh, David does not believe that just because the opportunity presents itself, he has to take it. He's recognizing that God calls him not to ambition, but to obedience, uh, and this is the beautiful part of the story of David, that there are so many of these moments where when presented with Two choices. David chooses the one that honors God. So, uh, I want to suggest that we get to these moments all the time in our lives. We get to these these crossroad decisions where, yeah, it is a little bit like there's a test for us, and God wants us to succeed. Um, Perhaps our enemy wants us to fail. And we sometimes say, well, if God didn't want this for me, He wouldn't put it in my life. If God didn't want me to have all this money, then the bank wouldn't have mistakenly sent me this check, right? Um, If if God didn't want me to fall in love with this person that I'm not married to, well, then why did He put her or him in my life? Uh, And so we say, well, I got to walk through this door because God's opened it for me. And David is a reminder for us that sometimes those open doors are tests to see if we will be obedient, if we will be as David is, God centered. Uh, And and so um, I come back to this passage in 1 Timothy where uh, Timothy talks about what does it take to be a leader in the church? And, And I don't know if you noticed this line, but he says, let them be tested. And then if they emerge blameless, let them serve. Uh, And so it's almost as though though Paul, in speaking to Timothy, recognizes that that this testing is an essential part of our Christian faith. Certainly for us to be leaders in the church, as David is, or as Timothy or these bishops or deacons will be, but I think for all of us, I think this idea that, that these moments of testing will come is essential to our Christian life. And the question for us is, how will we respond? Uh, And and I think passing the test is more than just not murdering your king when he's going to the bathroom, right? Passing the test is um, about being what Paul calls above reproach. And here's how I think about above reproach. I, I imagine that, you know, in every situation, there's a line you're not supposed to cross, right? Uh, for David, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this cave, and here's the king, and the line is, I really shouldn't murder the king to become king myself, right? Uh, but to be above reproach is to say, hey, I'm going to take, I'm not going to go up to the line and lean over, right? I'm going to see the line, and I'm going to take a step back, right? I don't want to go near that line if this is what obedience looks like, if this is what Paul calls blamelessness, I'm going to find that line and I'm going to take a step back. And, and this is what I love about David, right? Because David is a man who's interested in living his life above or beyond reproach. He, he finds the line and he tries to take a step back. So we get this great moment where he goes in and uh, he... You know, Saul's in there. By the way, it matters if Saul's going number one or number two because he's obviously there a while, okay? Um, And he's in there by himself and he thinks he's safe. And David and his men happen to be further in the back. And David sneaks up and he cuts off a corner of his cloak. And then he sneaks back to his guys and he says, no, 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 don't hurt him. Um, Don't do anything. Uh, And then, I don't know if you noticed this, it says he's stricken to the heart because he cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. I love this. Uh, It's it's like he says, there's the line. I never considered going past it, but I came almost too close to it. I don't like how close I got to that line. I should have been back here. By the way, in the Middle East, the the hem of your robe as an authority figure often carried some authority in itself. Remember, for example, the high priest who wears a special robe and it has bells and pomegranates around the hem of the robe. Um, Often kings, um, would be uh, served by their servants by kissing the hem of their robe, right? So, it's actually a symbol of authority that, that David has cut off. And, and David thinks even doing that might have been a bridge too far. Right? And so, he comes out to Saul and um, he um, shares what's going on, but he also kind of confesses that, that he went too close to the line. It's that he was cutting corners in his obedience to God. Um, And and I think, where are we doing that? Where where do we find ourselves? I don't think any of us are crossing the line into murder today, Um, but where are we getting up close to that line, right? Where are we literally cutting corners uh, in the call to be obedient, to to pass God's test of blamelessness? We all do this. I do this in so many ways, right? We say, oh gosh, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to tell the truth here, but if I massage the truth a little bit, um, I can look good, and we can still get the idea across of what happened, right? So let's just, let's just tell the truth, but let's just massage it a little bit. Or we say, oh, wow, you know, uh, I know that was told to me in confidence, and I know gossip is wrong, but it's such a great story. Uh, if I could just tell a couple of people, maybe in a sermon or something, it would be awesome, and no one will know who it was, Right? Or we say, boy, you know, maybe I had one too many tonight, but it's not like I'm going to go driving, and so it's not that big a deal. Or we say, yeah, you know, I I would never cheat on my wife, and if sometimes I go on the computer and look at websites I shouldn't look at, well, that's, you know, that's not so bad. And we we just cut corners. Right? We just get um, as close to that line as we can. We dangle a toe over and we say, hey God, I'm, I'm still balancing on the right side. But, but David and Paul call us to something different. Right? They call us to uh, this, this beyond reproach life. So I want to uh, think about a couple of places where I think that gets particularly challenging. One of those is, is with our friends. Friends. I don't know if you noticed, but in the the cave, as David is standing back and he sees Saul come in, um, it's his friends that tell him, hey, this is your moment. David, look what God's doing. Like, He has given you Saul. Saul is a bad king. You're going to be a great king. God's already anointed you to be king. God's already abandoned Saul with His Holy Spirit. Go finish the job. And David says... No, and he reprimands his friends, right? There's a, there's a wise wizard in Harry Potter who says um, that it takes a great deal of courage to stand up to our enemies, but even more to stand up to our friends. And I think there are many times in our life where it's the people we love and respect that are the most challenging for us to confront. Uh, and those that sometimes push us closest to that line from which we are trying to stand back. Uh, There's a a great movie called Remember the Titans, where uh, I think everybody knows this movie, but if not, it's a a movie about uh, football and racism, basically. Uh, And there's a, a scene where the white team captain's best friend, who's also white, his name is Ray, chooses to not block for one of his teammates, and his African-American quarterback is tackled, uh, and we're gonna pick up with what happened. Can I speak with you in private? Sure. What's on your mind, son? I want Ray off the team, coach. You know my policy, Gary? Yes, I do. And I respect it, but I know that Ray missed that block on purpose. Sometimes you just got to cut a man loose. Hmm. Well, you're the captain. You make a decision, but you support your decision. Ray? You're out. What? I'm not going to let you play for this team anymore. Oh, yeah, Jerry Lewis. Gonna go and tell Coach Coon what to do just like last time? But then that's right. He is your daddy now, isn't he? Coon don't cut anybody. Remember, Gary? I had you cut, right? you willing to just throw away our friendship for them? you can keep on. I don't know if you've had a moment uh, like this in your life where you had a friend who was pushing you closer to the line. Um, But I think this happens more often than we'd like to admit. Um, We're with our friends when they make inappropriate jokes. We're with our friends when they encourage us to have one more. We're with our friends when uh, they take our Lord's name and they run it through the gutter. Um, And part of our job, uh, as hard as it is, and working for that uh, above-reproach lifestyle is to say, um, hey, I'm not going to let you push me to that line. Uh, I'm going to stand up for whatever Christ calls me to be because I want to be blameless. I don't want to be okay. I don't want to be good when no one's watching. integrity is about what you do in the dark. Uh, Integrity is about what you do when just your friends or maybe no one else around is watching. So um, one place I think that we struggle is um, with our friends. The, The other thing I think we we struggle to fully recognize is um, what happens when we get close to that line uh, and who it reflects on. So, I'm coming back to my AP English test for a minute, and um, I will be perfectly honest. As a 17-year-old high school student, it never occurred to me for a moment that my choice to sleep through that test would affect anyone but me, well, and I guess that tells you something about me as a 17-year-old high school student, Um, I don't think I fully understood that teachers are evaluated based on how their students do. It didn't occur to me that that AP English teacher would um, look bad because um, one of our students, who everyone expected to get the highest score possible, got literally the lowest score possible. Um, or that she might even have salary incentives or bonuses that she would lose or gain because of how effectively her kids learned what they were supposed to learn from her. None of that went through my head, It was just me, just just thinking about me. Years later, uh, I was, not a lot of years later, uh, I was back in that same town and serving as a youth pastor there and uh, talking to some students in my youth group and it turned out some of them had this same English teacher I did. And I said, boy, she was a great teacher. I really loved that class. But you want to hear a funny story? And I told them about sleeping through the AP English test. And they looked at me and they said, oh, you're that guy? <laughs> I said, what do you mean I'm that guy? Well, she tells that story every year. <laughs> she never says who it was, but every year we hear about the kid who slept through the AP English test because he didn't think it mattered. Uh, That was an awkward realization uh, that I was infamous in my hometown. Uh, What I didn't realize, right, was that my decision um, to cut corners um, wasn't just reflecting on me. It was reflecting on those who taught me. David realizes this, right? David says, I'm not going to mess with Saul, not just because murder is a sin, but because he's the Lord's anointed, because how I treat the Lord's anointed reflects on the Lord. And the way that we live reflects on Christ, right? The way that we live out our call to obedience reflects on the one who has taught us and trained us as to what it means to be obedient. Uh, And when we seek out those opportunities to cut corners, to get right up to that line, uh, to listen to our friends and not to our Savior, it doesn't just make us look bad, right? It makes the world think, Bad about Christ. So, this is the challenge for us. Uh, I think that we have to embrace this idea um, that we are called to be a people who live blamelessly, who step back from the line, who live beyond and above reproach. And by the way, please don't think that doing so will always pay off in the short run. We didn't get to the end of this story because there's more to the story of David, Um, but this is not. The last moment that Saul tries to kill David. This is not even the last time that David spares Saul's life while Saul is trying to kill David. The the conflict between David and Saul goes on for years after this moment. It sounds like a great resolution, right? It's not. Sometimes doing what God calls us to do doesn't benefit us in the short term. Sometimes um, it leads us all the way to the cross, But the power of the cross isn't just that Jesus died, it's that He lived beyond reproach, literally. And His sinless life allows us to live a life like His. Uh, And so um, when we do cut corners, when we do listen to our friends instead of our Lord, when we embrace ambition over obedience, the one who never did that makes our forgiveness possible. The one who lived a blameless life allows us to be forgiven and start over and, and reorient ourselves to Him and say, Lord, I want to step back from that line again. I know I screwed up, but I want to try it again. So this is the gospel for us, right? You will be tested, uh, and it is possible uh, for you to be found beyond reproach, but when you are not, the one who is forever beyond reproach will dust you off and set you back up and say, try it again. So sisters and brothers, I pray for you and for me this week that when the test comes, we would face it awake and with eyes wide open, and we would respond to the life that is beyond reproach. Thanks be to Him. Amen.